Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Infilmation with Zach and John. So, you know a lot about a man by his facial hair? Like, uh, you have it, and I don't. I have a uh, luscious beard that uh, gets a little too Amishy in, uh, you know, about two weeks. Do you think that I could pull off, like, a like a James Garfield? James, is that the president's name? James Garfield? Gar- president Garfield. Do you think I could do one of those things? Like, the big sideburn mutton chop things? I think you definitely could. I don't think there's anything physically stopping you from doing that. Definitely do, like, a handlebar mustache that meets into the uh, sideburns, because then you'll definitely look like an idiot. So I'll look like a screaming Sicilian pizza box. Um, no, you'll just look like a moron. Um, (laughs) I I just, I, I have yet to see someone in this society, like in this day and age, bring back that look. And you know what? Honestly, dude, if you want to go for it, I say go for it. I just can't support you. I don't, I don't know. Now, you clearly have goldfish memory, because if you remember from the last movie, in House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, Otis is rocking some sideburn mutton chops, and uh, I think it's really, really a key plot point of the movie that he moves from that facial hair to the new facial hair. He went from, like, a James Garfield to a ZZ Top, and I was really, really impressed to see the change. It was like a before and after, like, HGTV moment. Especially because... um. Uh, is this movie supposed to take place, like, the next day? Or, oh, like, no, a it, day it takes, or two after? It takes place seven months later, but we'll get into that. Hey, everybody, uh, welcome to another episode of For Your Inflammation. Uh, I'm Zach. Wait, no, I'm John. You're Zach. Uh, am I Zach, or am I John? Or am I mm. am I God? I don't know. Hey, what, no. What, what, Let's not jump too far ahead in the plot just yet. We, we can't be doing that kind of thing, is it? Oh, okay. But anyway, I'm Zach, and today we're going to be covering The Devil's Rejects. The sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses, and it's a movie. It's a lot. I, I can count on one hand the amount of movies that have just made me nope real hard, and this is like top three movies that's made me nope real hard. And it's like, I know I've seen worse than this, but I guess it's just so much murder and blood and weirdness per capita that it just, it, it has its own specific feel. Like, and that's what I was mentioning last episode. Is like, Rob Zombie movies have such a specific feel. And this one is, like, the cream of the crop. Like, this is the best one. Well, I guess we're going to find out. Uh, I know I really enjoyed House of a Thousand Corpses. It was actually my first ever Rob Zombie movie, to my knowledge. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, what's new? That's, like, the whole premise of this entire podcast. So, like, I guess most people could have assumed that I hadn't really seen any Rob Zombie movies up to this point. You uncultured swine. Does this but it's make okay. me an uncultured swine? Does this, is this the hill you're going to choose to die on here? No, there are much bigger hills to die on, but... I'm a big man, and any hill kills me, so I guess any hill's the hill I could die on. But anyway, um, speaking of getting out of breath, let's learn what our new cocktail for this week is. Okay, yeah, nice nice segue there. I just leaned right in and started rolling down the street, had my aerodynamic suit on, a good segue. Now, this cocktail, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, it's... Oh, man, how do I do it? Okay, this cocktail is called The Devil's Work. And if you've seen the movie, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I am the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's work. Now, this cocktail will make you do the devil's work. Um, it's it's a little bit much, and it tastes real good, just like the devil's work. Okay, so you're going to take uh, two ounces of sweet vermouth, uh, one ounce of cognac, and a half ounce of triple sec, three dashes of orange bitters. It's a pretty simple recipe this week. You're going to shake it with ice in your cocktail shaker, and then you're going to strain it into a glass with ice pretty simple here's the catch you can do a lot with garnishes and with cocktails like this uh you kind of have an orange motif going on with your uh orange bitters and your triple sec um so you kind of want to polish it off and make it well-rounded with an orange garnish uh what a lot of people will do is they'll take an orange twist where they'll take like a potato peeler or something and peel off a section of orange skin and uh twist it over to get like some of the oils out of the the orange rind and i got to doing that and i was thinking you know i'm skinning this orange hmm otis skins some stuff so i gutted the entire orange and i carved a face into the skin of the orange and i put it on top of the cocktail glass 
And that was my orange garnish because I'm a sick fuck. I I want to marry you. I love you. That's amazing. If you were to serve me that, like I I would I would do anything you wanted me to do. Like that is an amazing amazing arts and crafts thing that you did there, John. You know what, man? I'm proud to serve. And this raises another question. If you want to marry me, if a captain of a ship can marry people on his own ship, could a member of this podcast marry someone on the podcast? Um, I, you know what? Maybe. I mean, the Unitarian Life Church is down for just about anything, but I don't think that I could marry myself to you on this podcast. That's I don't, true. I don't think it works like that. No, you got to have a, a, an ordained minister that's not one of the people involved. And I'm pretty sure you still have to have a witness. Um. Well, we have about a hundred witnesses on this podcast right now, but we don't have, you don't, don't feel pressured. You don't have to answer right now. Answer later. Oh, anyway, you're doing a real good guy thing right now. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's get right into it. Uh, the devil's rejects was released July 22nd, 2005. Uh, like we said earlier, this is a kind of a loose sequel to, uh, Rob Zombie's previous film, uh, house of a thousand corpses carries over several characters and several ideas, some settings, but, uh, it largely a different, plot it doesn't carry over a lot of the plot no and it's it's almost a different feel as well whereas like the original movie was a homage like this almost felt like its own story like while still within that 70s like grindhouse like era kind of film this kind of takes that and makes it its own I agree. I think that it's its own thing, but it's also a sequel. So they're like, it's like having a cinematic universe. Like you can make Ant-Man and you can make Iron Man and it takes place in the same universe and it has a similar feel, but it's not the same movie. No. And that's exactly what, like the first one was, I I don't want to call Devil's Rejects not campy, but it's definitely a lot less campy than House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, I I agree 100% with that. Like, this feels like its own movie. Like, these two could stand on their own. And they do, which is why, I guess why you're saying it's a loose sequel. It is. It is. It's almost like a follow-on film. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, and I I really dig this whole thing of follow the villains being the protagonists of the film, and you're not supposed to like them. Oh, no, not at all. Uh this is something that we can talk about later after we get through some of this stuff, but would you consider the Firefly family to be anti-heroes? Um, no. You wouldn't? Because th- they're not fighting for any kind of, like, good cause, because for, and at the root of an anti-hero is, like, someone who's doing good, but it's on their own terms, or, like, they're doing it in, like, a, you know, kind of metal way, or, you know, they... Normally they do bad things, but this one time they're doing good. Yeah, That's an like anti-hero. A, so you would describe like Dick Cheney as an anti-hero? Um, I would describe Dick Cheney as the actual devil, but we don't have to get into that. Well, um, we're all doing the devil's work now, you know, so like that's uh, that, that's already kind of written into here. Um, but, you know, like like a Deadpool or like a, you know, like sometimes Wolverine, like that. that's an anti-hero to me. Uh, Rorschach from the Watchmen. Anyone Ooh, from the Watchmen. Yeah. Love me some that's, Rorschach. That's that's an anti-hero. These guys are just straight up psychopaths, and they they just so happen to be the main characters in the film. Well, we can touch on this a little bit later. Um, this movie had five different producers, believe it or not. Uh, the most notable mm-hmm. of them being like a Mike Elliott. He studied under Roger Corman, and he actually for a time specialized in these kind of direct-to-video films, which kind of. I guess primed him for working with Rob Zombie. Not that he makes these types of films because this is a whole nother debacle where this film went back to the MPAA so many times just to be able to be released theatrically that Mm -hmm. it clearly is not a direct-to-video film, but it does retain some of that quality in that they basically shot a movie that should have been released direct-to-video, like home video, just because of the content. But then it had to kind of get pared down and all that stuff. It, it, we'll talk about that when we get to those points in the movie. But um, I just found that really interesting that he was kind of like, as far as I understand it, kind of like the forerunning producer of this film. The soundtrack was by Tyler Bates, uh, not a Rob Zombie original this time. Uh, which I guess that kind of changed the flavor of the film a little bit, don't you think? Yeah, it kind of seemed like Rob Zombie wasn't like had his hand in the whole pot. Like House of a Thousand Corpses, I feel like Rob Zombie should have starred in. Like, just because he was already doing so much in it that I I honestly don't understand how he wasn't an actor in the film as well. 
Because like, at that point, you might as well. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from there. I mean, it's so DIY that it hurts, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a beautiful thing in its own right. I mean, not that we're not also like DIY to the end right now, but I mean, that's just it's a different time. You know, we've had about, what, 14 years since this, so... And so it's a different world we live in. Um, Tyler Bates, uh, again, soundtrack, uh, he actually had a lot of experience on low-budget films. And he went on to work on Rob Zombie's Halloween series. Also went on to work on a lot of A-list films, including John Wick. That's just a bunch of, like, this business, like... Like that kind of shit. Like, where it's just supposed to be suspenseful and it's atonal. And I, I guess this is the world we live in. Oh, of course. Uh, that along with uh, Blind Willie Johnson and uh, lots of other classic rock artists. You lost me. Ex- oh, okay. Explain yourself. Well, uh, I actually had to do a little bit of digging to find it. Uh, again, we'll get here. But uh, the song opens on Delta Blues music, and it's actually Blind Willie Johnson, who who is a blues artist from way, oh, way oh, back in the okay. day. Yeah, kind of similar to the likes of Robert Johnson, if you're familiar with Robert Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. who, again, to do the whole devil thing, was suspected to have sold his soul to the devil at a crossroads at midnight for his skill playing the blues guitar and singing. Which, uh, if you ever listen to any of those recordings, hell yeah. I think oh, you yeah. did it. Haunting and beautiful. It's um, it's truly, like, listen to it next time you like the light goes off while you're, while you're taking a shit in the bathroom. Just turn on some Robert Johnson and uh, you'll be scared. I'll scare that shit right out of you. Spooky dookie. Anyway. Spooky dookie. <laughs> All right. So uh, it has a budget of about $7 million when it's filmed, uh, which is about the same as the last movie. Am I remembering correctly? I I believe so. I mean, if not, maybe a little more. Horror movies don't cost that much to make mm-hmm. because a lot of the people that you're going to get to want to be in horror movies, especially this kind of horror movie, aren't going to come with a big price tag. And most of the time for like the effects, because a lot of horror films choose to use practical effects when they're this low on budget, you can get students to do it because they'll do it for free or next to nothing. Mm. So is that ethical? Like, is this like a, oh yeah, you'll work for experience type thing, or are they paying them enough to where it's actually worth their while? Well, they're paying them like, you know, they're buying the equipment and like all the makeup and stuff. But, you know, the the pay might be minimal, but like, you know, this is a Lionsgate produced film. This is Rob Zombie. You know, that that's a pretty cool thing to put on your resume. So even if you're only making like, you know, 2000 for the get or not 2000. Sorry, that might be a little high. Even if you're only making like, you know, 500 bucks a week, you know, just doing makeup for this stupid little movie that they're making, you know, it's still going to be pretty cool that you can say that you worked under Rob Zombie later on. I guess that's true, especially considering how this movie has aged pretty well, despite the content. Um, It holds up. Yeah, it does. And it doesn't it doesn't feel as 2000s as uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. It it, it definitely feels kind of I, I almost want to say out of time. Like, I could see that. Yeah, it's like a timeless sort of film. Yeah, and I think that was what they were going for with House of a Thousand Corpses, but it just didn't quite get there. There was just enough cringe in there to, you know, keep it from feeling that way. But this one, yeah, I mean, this I, I would have believed that this movie was filmed either like, you know, in the 90s or today. You know, I mean, it, it does kind of have a timeless feel to it. Yeah, yeah, I could agree. Um, although the box office worldwide ended up being over 19 million, which is quite a lot considering the nature of the film and all the problems that it had getting released. Oh yeah. Like a lot of theaters did not want to play this movie. This, this was like at the time this came out in 2005, like this was the devil, like this and Borat were like the devil's movies, like keep your children away. Like certain movie theaters aren't going to play it. Like, you know, in small little towns and Alabama, I guess, probably. I wouldn't know anything about living in a small town in the South. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we did live in a small town, but it was surprisingly progressive with the movies they allowed in the in the local Hiram movie theater. You say progressive. I think the term most people would use would be depraved. Depraved. Well, I mean, you know, it's not it's not like they didn't show rated R movies like uh, the the small town that my grandparents live in in alabama at a at one point the movie theater would not show rated r movies 
Hmm. Like that's that's how like um, how much the church has a hold on that town. It's since changed, but for a really long time, like no rated R movies. Like even PG thirteen, like had to go through a board. Like it, it it was crazy, man. Like just to me that I mean I was a little kid, so I wasn't seeing rated R movies anyway. But just like oh man. That's kind of weird that, like, there's no grown-up movies here. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I hadn't really thought too much about it. But, I mean, who knows? Uh, with a polarizing film like this, it's easy to see how it could get excluded, though. Oh, oh, for sure, for sure. This one, I get. But, like, Bridges of Madison County? Like, you're not going to show Bridges of Madison County? I don't get it. Anyway. I have no opinion, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I, I won't put you through that, John. Unless we make it to, like, episode 3000, we won't do Bridges of Madison County. I promise. How many years would we have to do this podcast to get to 3000 episodes? Um, well, okay, so if we do four a month, that's like what? Okay, math. Technically, it's 48, so we'll round it to 50 episodes a year. 50 episodes a year, so, um... A shitload. Yeah, a shitload of years. Like, this is, like, years and years and years and years of content. And, uh, I, I, I hope it happens. That'd be cool. That would be really cool. So, uh, keep those views and likes coming. Get ready for episode 3000, Bridges of Madison County. Is anyone still listening? We're we're dying inside. We could do Mystery Science Theater 3000 for our 3000th episode. The the, the movie? Yeah, I guess we could. Uh, Who who cares? We'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So, the cast of the film. Uh, The cast of the film was mostly the same for the main characters. Uh, We had Bill Mosley playing Otis Driftwood, Sid Haig coming back as Captain Spaulding. Really good job. Yeah, I love to see him again. Uh, Sherry Moon Zombie, of course, is Baby. Um, Sheriff Wydell was played by William Forsythe. Of course, this is like a related character to Lieutenant Wydell from the previous film, uh, but clearly mm-hmm. not the same actor. Uh, but there were some major changes. Uh, Tyler Maine uh, as Rufus Firefly was changed from Robert Muke from the previous film. Uh, mm-hmm. and he's also the second professional wrestler to act in this film. Yeah, which is pretty cool. You know, this actually kind of sparked um, WWE stars getting to be in movies. Like, um, I know uh, Kane was in a couple movies. and um, um, John Cena was in that one meme. <laughs> John Cena was in that one meme. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, like, pe- people were wanting to see professional wrestlers in uh, movies. So th- this was kind of around the time when that tide was changing when it wasn't just oh they're doing a cameo it's like oh no they're actually doing like roles like these guys are actors that's true that's true i mean it does take a certain degree of performance to do what they do um not the only thing in this film that's been changed from the previous film in like the sense of the casting i guess uh leslie esterbrook played mother firefly in this movie uh, which is a change from karen black who played mother firefly in the last film I think that she's the one that you can tell the most change. Agreed. Um, and then uh, poor, um, poor Tiny. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's the same guy. He managed to actually play in the film, and I think he died that same year. He did die that same year. Poor guy. Yeah, that's he was kind ju- of a... he was just a big guy. Yeah, mm. heart goes out. Rip Tiny. Rip Tiny. All right, so should we get into this? Yes, we absolutely should. Um. Why don't we just dive right into it? Okay, so this film opens up with a Delta Blues theme. Uh, again, we found out this is actually a song by Blind Willie Johnson. And it really, really puts that Hellbillies thing into the forefront. Like, that's what the movie's going to be about. That's who it's going to center around. That's the world it's going to take place in. Which is a bit of a shift from the last movie, which was more so about, like, the horror funhouse aspect of the horror and not the like real gritty grindy horror that we see in this movie. Yeah. Like the first movie was like, Oh look, they're weird. They're psychopaths. Oh, they kill people. (laughs) This one's like, if you come near me, I'll fucking murder you. I will rip your face off and wear it as my own and then go murder your mother. Like that is, that is what this movie is like. You almost you almost want to stay like five feet back from this movie at it, all times. Yeah, a healthy arms distance helps. And oh man, I, I gotta say, if you're not someone that has like a strong constitution when it comes to content like this, I don't even really recommend watching it because again, I can count on one hand the amount of films that have just made me like nah, like hands off. This has some of those moments in it. This is one of those movies. And it's the the violence is while over the top, like not necessarily outside of the realm of reality 
Oh, absolutely. That's what makes this film so horrifying. And we'll touch on those parts when we get to them, but it's not a fantasy horror story. No, it's this could technically this could 100% happen. And I think that's when it's at its scariest is when it's like, oh, God. Definitely. And and, and like some of their victims, like how they go about like it's like I, I would do the same thing. I would have done the same exact thing. Yeah. And that's the scariest thing is knowing mm-hmm. that if you were ever faced with people like this, you, you die. You, like there, there's no, there's no, I have a gun on me. There's no, I have a knife on me. Like these people would murder you. Yeah. in all probability, um, keeping with the kind of themes from the last movie, um, I, they use like a sexual type hook. I don't even really know if I'm comfortable calling it a sexual hook because this is like, nude corpses like in the title cards you see some of this maybe it's a, like a, like a tad like risque but w- once we get out of the title card section which actually comes with overdubs as well kind of like a, another one of those texas chainsaw massacre callbacks yes yeah once we get out of this uh this is where we like w- we start to see more of that I don't want to call it a sexual hook again, but uh, there's nudity involved. Tiny's dragging this nude body through the woods, and it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty nude. Yeah, it. Well, it's 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 completely nude. It it's is, pretty it nude. Is a, it's a completely nude body. Um, they 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 upped the nudity in this movie. Like, I, I guess they got. I guess they got my letters. Oh and, yeah. Uh, they um. That there there's a lot more uh, nudity in this. Oh yes, it's like what were you like eleven when this film was dropped? Just dear Mister Zombie. I think that there should be more boobies in your film. Signed, Zach Graham. Signed, Zach Graham. P.S. If those boobies can be dead, all the better. Anyway. Um... Okay. So uh, this is also where we introduce Sheriff Wydell when the police come to the Firefly house, um, who is the brother of Lieutenant Wydell from the previous film, as we kind of mentioned earlier. Once the action starts getting into gear and things start getting into motion, uh, he has like a real direct kind of conversation with his officers, like really putting some good acting out there, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that's really what it is. Like, a lot of the acting in this movie is very, very good. Like, it's, it's... At times, it's not as grounded as it could be, but if for a lot of these guys, it's very, very grounded, especially Otis. I think Otis is, like, the most well-rounded character in the movie, like, as far as, like, acting goes. Like, I I find him just extremely believable. Yeah, I do, too. Uh, most of them do a pretty good job uh, in that department, I guess. Like, uh, even Baby's character, while a little over the top, is not the same kind of, again, fun house horror you know, character that we saw in the last movie, we see a lot more of the real gritty innards of the character in this movie. And we'll see that as the plot goes on. Um, This is where the police standoff happens. Yes. And, you know, we get a glimpse into, you know, like these people kind of had a plan for if a no shit moment happens. Oh, definitely. I don't know if all of them were privy to it, but I mean, they they were already, they, they knew this day would come eventually, it seems. Yeah, I mean, well, when you're killing, like, you know, hundreds of people in the same town you gotta expect that at some point someone's gonna smell the shit you're stirring that's true that's true um i feel like action kind of took a forefront here and it, it kind of took a backseat to the horror for a little bit um they, they have a gunfight there's like a lot more like i don't want to say like tech but like they bring a lot more like weaponry to the table uh tear gas which kind of pissed me off a little bit this movie again coming out of the funhouse horror and back into the like the gritty reality of it kind of pissed me off the same way that some things in die hard pissed me off a little bit where it's like they throw like tear gas canisters into the house and i don't know if any of you have actually experienced tear gas before but i have and that shit will wreck you yeah like you you it's called tear gas for a reason. You're not going to... It's supposed to make you cough and get on the floor and, like, probably throw up. It happens a lot, yeah. And also, like, it it's supposed to be disorienting, and these guys just seem like they were cool with it. <laughs> Which, honestly, you know, given that they are hellbillies, I mean, they, they may have, like, huffed this shit before. Like, they may be immune to it. I mean, I don't maybe know. so. I mean, unless you're just like totally out of your mind on meth, I find it hard to believe. But we're getting kind of bogged down in the details here. I'm gonna try to not be that guy in this movie. Um, I did notice one thing though. This is not the same house. No, it's not. Do you and... think that maybe they like ran into a problem where like the previous movie came out? They know it made money, so they're like, ah, oh, if you're gonna film on this location again, it's gonna cost you more this time. Um, no, I think that probably. They use the other one for exterior shots and then, um, you know, probably filmed in a sound studio for the rest of it. Mm. 
Um, I can't confirm or deny that. I'd have to look it up. But probably what happened is they were just like, fuck it, we have the money. Let's just build. Let's just build a house. We can make it look similar. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, whatever gets the job done. Clearly, they made the movie. Um, so in the fighting, uh, Rufus Firefly gets killed and Mother gets arrested. Uh, Mother Firefly is an important character in this, but she is not one of the devil's rejects. You know, she's not a part of the gang in this movie like she was in the last one. No, and she she she's definitely a hostage. Like, she's definitely taken hostage. Like, I, it, she is arrested, but it's almost a hostage situation. She tries to shoot herself, and I think that's one of the coolest, like, lines in the movie. She's like, I'm gonna let you take me, Sheriff. Click. And he's like, you ain't gonna get away that easy. Mm. And then... Devil's rejects! Like, it was... Yeah. That was dope. Agreed. I think that separating her by getting arrested uh, does a lot for the characters. Like, it, it allows them to develop independently when they get separated, but it also kind of shows degenerations in their characters when they're outside of the group. And we'll, we'll touch on those parts when we get to them, I guess. Um, so, from this whole thing, uh, Baby and Otis get away. Uh, cue the classic rock. This is where we see Midnight Rider by the Almond Brothers. And uh, I'm just like, it's like a weird... Forrest Gump type thing like uh, I don't know Otis is like come on baby let's go out we have to get away <laughs> I I don't know I, I, I don't know if I would classify it as that but I see what you're saying um, he like okay we grew up in outskirts of Atlanta Georgia like bordering on the boonies you, you've met people like Otis right oh absolutely and like it's not that they speak slow and it's not the it's it's the cadence. So it's not like he has like some well, he obviously has mental problems, but like not you know, so I don't I don't want to classify him as a Forrest Gump type character, but maybe more of a like devil. I don't know. Like I I, I couldn't think of another thing to describe him as. And I think that's what I like about his performance so much. Is that I'm like, huh, I can't point to another thing where I, like, it's like, oh, he's acting like this person or acting like this person. Like, he feels authentic. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, I think that, like you said earlier, he is one of the better developed characters. And that's an important part of this movie. And that's an important thing that goes into the, even the critical reception of the film. Um, where people that reviewed this movie said, like, the only thing justifying the graphic violence in this movie is the fact that the characters are as developed as they are. And this was the sentiment held as high as Roger Ebert. Yeah, exactly. That, it was like the, the refined characters justified the graphic nature of the film. Um, well, because otherwise it's just gore porn. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, maybe that's what separates this from House of a Thousand Corpses in a lot of ways. But we, we can talk about that in the end here because we got tons of stuff to talk about. Um, enter Captain Spaulding. He comes back and he is doing the shag thing in the shag shack. Uh, it turns out not to be real, but the dream does seem to be maybe one of the more realistic sex scenes I've ever witnessed in a movie. Yeah, it, like you see balls clapping and everything. Like it's it's very interesting is and also real bodies like i mean they're not like uh, clearly this isn't like your conventional hollywood romance but like it, i i believe it like i almost believe that he's a real person doing a real thing with another real person more in this movie than i believe in many other movies yeah like it's who 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 would have thought body shaming would have come to an end in a rob zombie movie who would have thought it uh, right yeah so uh wakes up from the dream and uh it turns out he does just kind of have a regular life like we were wondering in the last film like does he run out of toilet paper and yeah i think you were right he is one of those scoop it with your hands guys and that's kind of gross um gross or just you get i mean man you got to do what you got to do you're gonna wash them hands anyway yeah, that's one way of looking at it. So <laughs> he finds out what's going on. He gets the call. He straps up and he gets in the truck and he heads out uh, to their rendezvous point because they actually do have a plan in place. And it also confirms our suspicions that the Firefly family is a genealogical family, you know, where um, Captain Spaulding is baby's dad. And mm -hmm. that uh, we already knew that, like, Mother Firefly was Tiny's mom, but that there are family connections there, which is more of a deep cut reference to the place these characters come from i think where like you know in the south like kin is big like kinfolk mean a lot you know or at least that i guess that's what it meant at some point and these are people that you could know like oh yeah that's my cousin or like oh this guy that person i've known them all my life these like small town relationships 
gone to hell is what this movie becomes. Yeah, and it also forces you to realize, like, I guess Mother Firefly fucked Captain Spaulding at one point. When did that happen? Well, Captain Spaulding's not that old of a guy. And I, Baby's I don't, not that old either, so it's kind of like, uh... Raises a few eyebrows, raises right. a few questions. I am still kind of unclear as to whether or not Mother Firefly... Fire, I keep saying Firefly? Anyway. Is that like a I'm, summer's aisle kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, like a summer's know? aisle kind of thing. Yeah, let, let's go there right now. Um, <laughs> I... I'm still kind of unclear as to whether or not Mother Firefly is Baby's mother or not, because even in the fandom, which, again, there is a fandom for this, uh, I wasn't even really able to, like, positively figure out if that's true or not. But we're getting, like, really deep into the lore, which a lot of people really care about, in fairness. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, yeah, I guess so. I, I assumed. So I, I guess I assumed they're, uh, that they're, they're boning. So I'm sorry to uh, these fake characters. Again, small-town relationships. They introduce new characters, too, uh, with the Frontier Fun Town, uh, where that's Cleavon and Charlie, uh, who play a bigger part later on, but kind of have this little entrance, I guess, just to kind of prime you for knowing who they are and what they do later on. And the Frontier Fun Town kind of, like, it reintroduces some of those, like, circus vibes from House of a Thousand Corpses. It's circus vibes, except it's also gone to hell because it's almost like a no man's land, like do whatever the hell you want to do kind of thing. All right. And so we move on to the meeting place, Khaki Palms Motel. This is uh, where the Firefly family meets in case of emergency. And this is where we meet Banjo and Sullivan. Good old the, Banjo the, and Sullivan. The traveling uh, Texas band. Yeah. Um, I feel like there were a lot more groups like this in the time period. I think this takes place in, what, 1978? Um, yeah, 1978. But, I mean, you, you even see, like, you know, like those small family, like, oh, we uh, we take a month off of work every year and we uh, travel around uh, Georgia. Yeah, to, like, the revival circuit. Music. Yeah, like that whole thing. Um, th- that's 100% real. And that's still real, I guess. Um I think my grandparents at one point had like a bunch of records from just like groups like this who did this type of music, uh, more so like gospel type music. I don't, I don't think these guys are a gospel group, but I mean, they talk about God a lot and we'll see how that goes later on. And I don't mean to offend anyone, but uh, abandon all hope of God for the rest of this movie because he does not show up ever. Yeah, this is a Rob Zombie world and in Rob Zombie's world, uh, they, they don't play by those types of rules. <laughs> there is the devil and then there's otis yeah um this is like maybe one of the more interesting scenes in the film is after we introduce this meeting point in like this part of the plot um the, the carjacking scene with captain spaulding is surprisingly tame like like you know and i think that's part of the likability of captain spaulding it's he's not actually doing a lot of the murdering here no. Like, like you don't really see him doing that. That's more like Baby and Otis's thing. Yeah, like they, they get off pure. on that. Yeah, they kept skipping falling almost pure in a sense. Yeah, like he's like you definitely he's definitely seedy. Like I mean, fucking look at him. He has black gums. Like I, I that that was the only thing I could never get past. Like like looking at this guy is like, ugh. hey man, that's gingivitis is a bitch. <laughs> No, you said it wrong. It's gingivitis. Gingivitis. Like, I, I I don't know. But anyway, so Captain, Captain Spaulding steals this car and basically threatens this kid while dressed like a clown. And I, I just have to imagine that this is something that Rob Zombie has thought of for a really long time. Because this scene seems so well planned out. This is kind of like the yin to the Pennywise yang. Where, you know, Pennywise, like, preys on kids and the vulnerabilities of kids. And Captain Spaulding's like, hey, kid, how's it going? Like a Beetlejuice type character? Yeah, almost like a almost like a more laid back Beetlejuice kind of character. <laughs> laid back Beetlejuice. Well, Beetlejuice like is like trying a lot of shit to like get this girl to kill herself. Captain Spaulding just wants your fucking car, man. Just give him your car. Th- that's a fair point. That- that's a fair point. Uh, Beetlejuice is a pretty busy dude. We'll segue back to the motel where things get really real and i was not happy this is okay of all the things that i've watched and i don't usually write when i watch movies but like i, I clearly took notes for this and like i ha- had trouble writing 
with how fucked up this scene is. Yeah, it gets it, it's let, let, let's just let's just take it play by play without revealing too much. Yeah, we really do need to just kind of explore some of this. So I would describe this as torture. Uh, there's like a I oh, guess this, a hostage this, this... situation. Like, I guess this is a hostage situation, right? Uh, I mean, they're not holding them in ransom of anything. Like, the, so I think this is just straight up torture. Like, because in order to be, you know, kidnapped or something, like, you know, there, there's the promise of uh, if you do what I want, we'll give these people back. Like, these, like, they have no intentions of giving these people back. That's true. That's 100% true. The only thing that they really want from them is to not have them run screaming out of the room. So the I o- guess you got to be kind of extreme to make someone do that it, the only thing they want is for no one to know they're there and the only way to do that is to uh murder these people yeah just blast jimmy straight in the face like jimmy didn't deserve that he no good dude played by brian Passane, uh who's a stand-up comedian and also a voice on steven universe for uh, those who didn't know um he absolutely did not deserve this also because he only had about 15 minutes of screen time it, it was enough time for me to go oh i forgot brian Passane was in this movie and then and it, it hit me the same way it did the first time. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. They. This is where things get really deep. This is where things diverge significantly from the last movie, where it really is not the Hollywood... Again, Hollywood. It's not the Halloween funhouse thing anymore. This is real. This is gritty. They are preying on actual fears of people with, like, the psychological abuse, the threats. There's, like, the disturbing sexual behavior, and it all just, like, contributes to this whole feeling of a lack of control and vulnerability that is actually scary. Especially when he makes uh, the the, the old older lady of the groovy oh, he Gloria, makes her take her Gloria, Gloria. He, he like makes her take her clothes off and like without without going like too far i mean you know like he's like sticking a gun down her pants and like all this kind of like it's it's very strange like it almost feels like dirty like it feels yeah. like you shouldn't be watching this right like 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 your mom's gonna bust through any minute and you're gonna be grounded like that's how this feels and actually that scene was uh the number one thing holding it back from getting a rated r rating oh absolutely and it's funny again with this movie and the getting held back from rated r this movie went back to the mpaa eight times before finally getting a release rating of r yeah and it's i mean i can't blame them like you definitely want to keep a movie like this out of the reach of children like i don't agree with the mpaa and any of their practices but like specifically for things like this like yeah i don't think anyone under 17 should see this yeah i don't don't even know if i'd feel comfortable watching this with a 17 year old like this is pretty gruesome this is kind of like one of those things where you kind of watch it by yourself yeah, and you still feel weird afterwards, like someone's going to come in and see you doing it and be like, it's not what it looks like. I mean, even in the age of, like, best gore and live leak, this still is disturbing. But let's not get too hung up on it, because the next scene is uh, equally as weird. Uh, Sheriff Boydell interrogates Mother Firefly. Yeah, this is where the two, like, we learn a lot more about Sheriff Boydell here. And this was maybe the only point or I guess the first point in the movie where I thought like they've met their match. This guy is actually crazy and he is actually going to stop them. Like finally there is someone out here that is ridiculous enough to put an end to these guys. It's almost like uh, they went into the back room like, Hey, Wydell, we got one for you. Are you going to let me do it my way? You know what? You do what you got to do. And those, uh, those accents were not accurate as in this takes place in Texas, but I can't do a Texas accent, so I'm not going to try. You know what? Maybe at some point I'll give it a shot. I'm not feeling it right now. I haven't had enough, like, uh, I don't know, uh, Shiner Buck? Shiner Jesus Christ. But yeah, so, and there, there's also some other weird sexual tension shit between sheriff wydell and uh mother firefly Mm -hmm. and i don't know if there's just weird sexual shit with anyone in mother firefly but um there is it's a part of the extremity of her character i thought and when she gets separated from the group she drives hard with this thing again this is like her go-to in a lot of cases it seems or at least when she interacts with other people in like the last movie he cuts that head of that snake right off and he is not having any of that and he kind of puts her in her place a little bit after all the stuff we saw in the last movie, just to watch Mother Firefly get smacked around a little bit, it's like, wow, someone is actually standing up to the Firefly family. Yeah, someone's actually going to do something. Someone's not scared of them. Yeah, and they're not disturbed. He's just, the only thing that gets him a little bit is when they go through the photo albums being like, you guys did this, this person. It's like, oh yeah, look, here's your brother. And he 
flips out on her. Well, because, I mean, the death of his brother really, really affected him, and he's been wanting to get these guys for a good minute. It's almost like if you murder people all the time, you're going to, like, get some, some bad blood with people? Oh, I mean, d- did you think that's what happened? I didn't know that happened. I, just, I, don't, I don't know, man. I never ventured that far into it. Usually when I'm killing people, the only thing I'm thinking about is, like, can I eat this? Like, what's... Oh, do I have some movies for you? Anyway. Justice for Turtle. Justice for Turtle. Jesus Christ. Cannibal Holocaust. If you want an even more fucked up movie, watch that one. Um, So next we have Otis taking Roy and Adam to go collect a stockpile of weapons Otis had hid in an old stockyard somewhere. And uh, the characters and the audience get the feeling that uh, that's not really what they're there for. No, and even if it is, they're not going back together. No, I mean, it's definitely a, um, you, 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 you know what's happening when this yes. scene, when this scene comes up, you know that those two guys are not making it out of this. Like, spoiler, spoiler alert, they are not getting out of this. Yeah, this is the kind of dribble in the basketball where they went down with Mother Firefly. Her character kind of breaks a little bit in the last scene, right back up to Otis being separated from the group and being an absolute animal. And you almost feel like he's probably his most unhinged when he's not with the rest of the Firefly Firefly family. Yeah. He he is an absolute force of nature. And he even says, I I am the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work. And just it's bone chilling. Like you believe that guy. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times that kind of stuff feels a little cheesy or a little forced. I'm like, oh yeah, it's a horror movie. This was not one of those moments. This felt like, kind of real for a second i was like oh shit all right yeah and he like savagely beats the shit out of these guys because i mean to be fair they tried to kill him first yeah but i mean after what's been going on i mean wouldn't you oh yeah no for sure i mean i'm just saying everybody's justified here especially because this is texas Uh, that's a good point i i I don't know like uh (laughs) is it ever really justified even if it's in texas (laughs) um yeah it is. Like, if you, if you go back for another sweet tea and they're like, that's a little much sweet tea there, then you're like, what are you going to do about it? And, okay, well, that's justified Texas killing. But out here, I mean, come on, they're, they're just trying to survive. They're trying to sur- I'm not saying anyone did anything wrong here. So are you doing like a hashtag Otis did nothing wrong? <laughs> hashtag Otis is a product of his environment. Oh, we're going to go like deep psych on Otis here in the review. Just absolutely not. We don't have time for that. There's so much movie to get through. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we as that's happening, you know, he tears their face off and, uh, Baby's playing mind games with Wendy and Gloria, and um, you know Wendy has to go to the bathroom, and or uh, oh, I think it's Gloria. Of... A bunch of stuff happens, and it's it it ends in everyone dying, pretty much, pretty except much. for Gloria. Gloria's left alive for some reason. It's actually Wendy. Oh, it's Wendy that's left alive. My apologies. It's okay. And am I am I supposed to give these people that have like twenty minutes of screen time names? I'm sorry. It's um, a, yeah. <laughs> So Gloria's left alive, and Otis comes back from uh, murdering uh, the other two guys with a stockpile of weapons uh, with uh, Gloria's husband's face Again, attached Wendy's to Otis's husband's face. face. <laughs> Wendy, yo, the girl who's left alive and her husband, she gets his face put on her. That's what happens. Yeah. Um. The the whole killing thing here. This is where things get a little like a, 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 a God, I don't even know what to say. This is where things get a little bit like out on the edge for me where she throws a knife into Gloria's chest and it just sticks the ribs. Like, have you ever tried to throw a knife? I have. And it's hard enough to even get like throwing knives to stick into like a wood target. It, I can't imagine what it's like to get it to stick in like a body. Like you would, she would have had to have thrown that thing pretty hard. Absolutely. It's not something that most people can just do. Even people who are good at that kind of thing struggle doing that kind of feat. I'm not going to be this guy. I got to stop being this guy. I got to stop analyzing the little things like that. It's not. Well, I mean, and not only that, like it went straight in. Like there's no way. No, absolutely not. The human body is more resilient than you think it is. And the rib cage is your body armor. Yep. It it would, it would probably cut you pretty good, but it would bounce off ultimately. Uh, Yeah. So uh, they do their thing. They're real graphic about it. Uh, Let's not give away everything, but Captain Spaulding finally shows up, keeps the last one from getting away and giving away their position, and that is where we go to the Groucho Marx expert. Which, 
this scene, I didn't know how I felt about it. It felt like he was kind of, you know, this almost felt like Rob Zombie was just trying to show his hand, like, oh, this is how I named these characters. Like, th- that seems more like a, uh, you know, like a DVD extra to me. I, I don't know. Uh, th- this scene confused me as to why it's in the film. Your analysis is far better than mine, because as soon as they brought that guy into the picture, I was like, that's us. I felt personally attacked. Like, this, this, is, this is us. This is a film nerd. Oh, no, 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 for sure. It's a film nerd, and I'm sure that, like, that's why it's in the movie. But at the same time, it just kind of was like, I guess it's a plot point later. Yeah. They use it to decode, like, their, um, you know, spoiler alert, they use it to decode, like, their their names that they use in multiple, their aliases. There we go. I got there. Aliases. Yeah. You know what? Uh, It's funny that we say, like, spoiler alert but like this whole podcast is like a giant spoiler fuck spoilers i don't believe in them if you don't want to know something about a movie you haven't seen don't go looking stuff up about that movie that's a good point just listen to the first bit for the cocktail and then go watch the movie and then come back yeah or use this as a jumping off point to see if this is the movie for you there you go i think you'll learn a lot about how it probably isn't the movie for you but the reasons might be different exactly and then we go back to the hotel sorry going back to the plot uh the cleaning lady finds the murder scene and uh appropriately freaks out Zach, please. She has a name. Her name is Maria. Oh, her name is Maria? Okay, I didn't pick up on that. So Maria finds Wendy hung on the back of the door wearing Roy's face. Yeah. And she's desperately trying to get someone to help her. I I, I believe it might be sewn on or stapled on, so that's why she can't see very well. And she ends up running out in the road and gets hit by a car. A terrible ending and a terrible way to die. Yeah, th- th- this was a bad day, man. Yeah, I I couldn't imagine. Like, that's again, the thing about the whole movie is it's so real, and when this kind of thing happens, you feel legitimately bad that there was no second chance for this person. Like, they were doomed from the start. And, like, honestly, you almost feel bad. Like, I, I think uh, Brian Fassane's character got the best end of the deal here. Like, he just got to get out of it. Like, he's dead. You know, like, honestly. He, he, didn't have, he didn't even have a minute to think about it. That's kind of true. I mean, maybe you're right. I, I hadn't even really thought about that. So from this point, Sheriff Wydell comes to the motel eventually, you know, and he kind of goes about analyzing all the stuff. Uh, his guys show up. These are his uh, his local help, uh, Rondo, played by Danny Trejo, and uh, Billy Ray Snapper, who is uh, played by Diamond Dallas Page, the second professional wrestler to be in this film. And you know what? I'm down for any movie that Danny Trejo is in, I fucking love Danny Trejo. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch some because I don't think I've actually seen any, and uh, I'm sad about that after seeing this. Yeah, I know. I like it. I like this part of the film because it kind of feels like a Red Dead Redemption side quest. It it definitely is. Like, he's definitely... Or it's almost like hiring other people to do a bounty for you. So we we learn about their characters. They go on, and then the rejects are driving a tour van, or driving the tour van from the family they just murdered. Yeah. And uh, we, we get a little view into some of the family dynamics here. They, they're annoying the shit out of each other. It's a very, uh, are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Like, that. that's happening right now. Yeah, you know, some family members like Tutti Frutti. Uh, some people like uh, butchering other human beings. Yeah, some some people, like, uh, Otis is definitely the dad. In a weird and, way, yes, despite Captain Spaulding being Baby's actual dad. Yeah, it, it, tooty fucking fruity, man. And also, um, I like how they just get the ice cream. There's no elaborate scene where they go in and, like, murder the ice cream guy. It seems like they might have just went and bought ice cream. Yeah, I think they did, and, um... Which that, you know I, I guess they're capable of being normal sometimes. I mean, we saw that Captain Spaulding has a normal life. Yeah, he has a normal life outside of it. And, um, you know, I, I just really want to see these guys roll up and uh, just buy ice cream. Yeah, well, that'd be all right. Like, I feel, I feel like that's a story later. Like, yeah, this uh, this kind of hot chick and uh, this um, weird gingivitis clown man came and bought ice cream from me today. And uh, I didn't feel safe, but uh, they paid for it. So, okay. Oh yeah, those guys came by the other day when I was working too. Uh, I think they were with that uh, that guy is the frontman for the Goat and Your Mom. <laughs> Do you quack like a duck? Anyway, um, how fitting is that song for this film? Um, I'm actually 100% upset that that song is not in this film. Maybe that song gets inspired by this film. I don't want to think about that. 
<laughs> um, anyway, and, you know, so they keep going on, and Wydell, uh, we go back to Officer Wydell, and he's having dreams that from his brother that he is told to kill the Firefly, Firefly family. Yeah. Not that I don't think he wasn't going to do that before. Th- this is very much a, if you're a police officer, this is a shoot-on-site case. Yeah, this is kind of a fucked-up place to be in, and especially for him. Again, like, his brother's dead, and, like, all this crap's happening in his town. And um, it, it really shows a trajectory with him, how he started off, I imagine, before, you know, when the police department was still normal and, you know, people weren't being murdered by the Firefly family, how he was, a, like, a good guy, and he did his job, and he was holding up the law just like the other guys thought they were doing, too. And things get weirder. He gets weirder with them, which kind of makes him a better fit for dealing with the situation, but at a great personal cost. Yes. It's like he is determined for these people to pay and one way do. or the other. Yeah. And- uh, the next scene is where he goes and he offs Mother Firefly. Uh, again, no spoiler alerts, but I'm not normally into these kind of extrajudicial killings. But, you know, in this case, I, I think I'm going to let it slide a little bit. She deserved to die. Like, like let, let's, let's get that out of the way. Like, this is not a good lady. Like, this is not a good person. Yeah. But- and toward the end, I mean, she even kind of got a little sad there like she tried to fight it and tried to fight it and tried to be extreme to the end but the degeneration of her extra nature like just how over the top her character was was almost sad in a sense it was it's almost like watching like a like a little cartoon bunny die like if that cartoon bunny had uh blood all over it and you know giant tits i don't know like just you're describing bunny kill that that flash video that circulated in like 2003 yes not the uh lola bunny uh shit that i look up at night anyway um I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear any of that. So uh, they arrive at Charlie's Frontier Fun Town. Full circle here. Uh, how convenient that we talk about this right after that. I can't believe this. Um, this is Charlie's establishment. Charlie turns out to be Captain Spaulding's brother. And he refers to Captain Spaulding as Cutter. I guess that's his name. Captain Spaulding's a cooler name. Oh, of course. I mean, if you could be Captain Spaulding. I mean, come Why on. Why wouldn't you be Captain Yeah, he's the, like the emperor of the basketballs. Emperor of the bet. You broke my brain for the second time, John. Anyway, mm. so there's a bunch of family reunion fun shit that happens here. Um, I, I don't think Otis is very fond of anyone, especially anyone that's like in this amusement park. Can you call this an amusement park? I mean, it's like it's like the bunny ranch, you know, like like the place, the establishment out in like Las Vegas, but like deep south trash. Um, it's definitely a deep south trash, like, wonderland. Like, there's just cocaine and drugs and hookers and anything your little degenerate heart could desire, you can get this shit here. So it's the jungle from the one uh, Guns N' Roses song. Yes, but this is real. (laughs) But this is (laughs) real. They were describing what it felt like to be on drugs on the Las Vegas Strip. Uh, this was, um, th- this is real. Like, I'm sure a place like this actually exists. Like, maybe this is what's inside of Area 51. I don't know. Why don't you continue on this, uh, oh, okay. this so, journey, John? Uh, they have their, their fun times, everything. The next day, Charlie and Cleveland go to the chicken stand. I guess there's a chicken stand. And th- this is where the whole chicken fucker thing happens and, like, it's not what you think it is. This is like the only time in the movie where it's not what you think it is. Yeah, they're definitely going to use the chicken to make chicken. Like they're not, they're not going to fuck the chickens. Right. Uh, Sheriff Wydell shows up after their little interaction with the chicken guy, and um, he gives them an ultimatum. He gives Charlie an ultimatum. Says, "You're going to help me get Spalding, or you're going to pay for it." it and it's, it's really good acting from from both parties. Like it's it, this is an extremely believable scene. Like this is a cop. That it's like, I'm going to get this shit no matter what. And you right. can either help me or you can lead me to them and I'll kill you. Yeah, I mean, kind of small town justice, I guess, where like he knows him. He knows what he does. Mostly they kind of turn the other cheek. But today is not that day. No, it's like, do you want to go down in flames or do you want to help me real quick? Exactly. Uh, Wydell is for sure the paladin of this RPG. Like if there was one, like I, I think you got like your... Uh, uh, your your barbarian is like Captain Spaulding. You got your rogue that's like Baby. You got your um pyromancer. Oh, I guess that would also be Wydell, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. I don't know what Otis is. See, th- th- this is why Otis is my favorite character in the whole movie. He just he's his own thing, man. Maybe he's the ranger. Maybe he's that that all around character trope that just fills so many gaps. 
True. I can take that. I can take that. He's got he's got the visions. He's got the righteousness. He's got the justice. Like Wydell is for sure the paladin. I it's one hundred percent. This is where he sets up his sting. The rejects enjoy their safety, enjoy their freedom. Uh, they, they get the cocaine going. They get the booze going. Baby takes a bath for the first time in God knows how long. Maybe ever. Maybe ever. <laughs> Just the simple things in life, like eight rails of coke and a bath. Ugh. I mean, that, that's what I need to take a good bath. There you go. I, I, you heard it first here. Um, they get taken by surprise. Uh, Rondo, Snapper, and Sheriff Wydell all enter the Frontier Fun Town, and they take them just like that. Like, they sneak up on the sneaky guys. They, they they give them a piece of their own medicine. Like, they've been stalking people and setting people up for so long, and it finally caught up to them. Yeah, and they, they're they all legitimately surprised. So it like, seems. Like, it, not even, like, in the beginning of the movie where they're like, well, this was coming. Like, they are all legitimately like, oh, okay. Yeah, and especially is... when they, they they shoot the prostitute that uh, Otis is with, it's like oh, like even he has a face of like oh, I guess this is it, huh? Yeah, this is real. This is they got me. Like here I am, and they just killed an innocent person. To yeah, get to me. Yeah, and that's again just the crazy wild nature of the film. I guess um, the degeneration of the characters starts here. You know, we saw it with Mother Firefly, but for the rejects proper. This is where things go downhill a little bit. We see a bit of character development here that kind of reaches its apex, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, Wydell takes him back to the Firefly family house. Um, he straps him to the chair and he just like, starts beating the shit out of him. He like, shows him the pictures and be like, this this person, you killed this person. What about this person? You killed this person. He's like basically closing all of the open cases, like all the cold cases that he's had for the past few years, right here under threat of death. Yep, and then he starts stapling the pictures to them. Mm, and, yeah. and, and they're all like crying. I mean, I'm guessing this probably hurts pretty bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, it's all all just kind of a bad spot for them. Like, they don't like this, clearly. They're not used to this. This is maybe the first time that they've ever had to pay for the things that they've done. Or, or even answer for it. Like, it exactly. seems like this is, like, killing is just another thing for them. Yeah, um... I think it's interesting here where he nails Otis's hands to the chair. It's like a weird Christ symbol type thing, really backwards. Well, and I, I guess go he's he claims to be the Antichrist, so I guess it kind of works. Yeah, and Wydell claims to be basically, again, a paladin for Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, and that, that analogy works here, I, I guess, in some weird fucked up way. I guess he, I guess he crucifies. Him. I mean, after all the stuff that Otis has done, he, he's gonna give him what's coming to him. I don't know if they planned that out or if that's like an intentional thing, but I mean, it kind of works and it's a little sophisticated. If you don't say so myself. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely liked him nailing because he's the only one that he did that to, and he's in the middle, and um, Captain Spaulding and Baby are on each side, so I guess it would kind of work out in the cross situation as well. Yeah. Hey, this is deep, deep cinema. <laughs> um it's a good movie i wouldn't go there okay yeah uh he sets the house on fire like i said he's also the pyromancer of the of the rpg here yeah he he straight up sets it on fire he's going to send them to hell where they belong full package uh baby gets out he goes to get baby charlie comes to rescue charlie does not succeed at rescuing baby and is unfortunately just killed yeah, I mean, not, not that it's the first time we've seen this happen in this film. It's full of death. But, I mean, Charlie was an all right guy. He sold him out, but he didn't have a choice. He was trying to protect his people. Yes, he was. Family first. And for him, despite all the stuff that he's done in the past, he's kind of a seedy dude. I do kind of feel sad to see him go. Yeah, I did, Charlie didn't deserve to die. I think he knew that he had no choice but to help you know, Wydell, but he, he, he didn't deserve this. Right. And we kind of root for Wydell for a little bit, or at least I did, because I kind of liked, after all the stuff they've done in this movie, seeing them get a little piece of their own medicine here. But I really don't think, well, it was a little heartbreaking to see Charlie go. Um, and this is where things get interesting. Here comes Tiny again. Yep. After being absent for the whole movie. 
Yep, and he comes in, makes his epic entrance, completely silent as always, and kind of anticlimactically does away with Wydell. Yeah, it's it's. I, I do have to say it is a little anticlimactic. Like, you know, one of the Devil's Rejects should have died. Like, it, 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 they had it coming. Right, not counting Mother Firefly. Well, I guess, yeah, Mother Firefly. I guess that would be the sacrifice. But, you know, it, it is a little anticlimactic. And, like, you know, it's it kind of raises a question, like, are we supposed to have been rooting for these guys? You know, that's something that I've had trouble with for the entire film. Um, that they're not really anti-heroes. We talked about it in the beginning, and I never at any point thought that they were supposed to be good guys. Like, are they protagonists? Yeah, I guess. But, like, they're not anti-heroes. They are still villains. They're definitely still villains, and, you know, it... It, and it goes back to that thing, like, not every protagonist has to be the hero. Like, and this is a perfect example. Like, we're following these people, and at no point are you supposed to like them. No, like, absolutely and, not. And and the movie gives you no pressure into liking them. No, even when they humanize the characters a little bit by kind of breaking their facade, like, breaking their ego a little bit, and they you see through a little bit to where they're kind of normal people, you still don't feel bad for them. No, like, because if these people die, you're like, mm, I mean, I guess they kind of had that coming, you know, what, 400 murders later? Something like that. And, you know, so Tiny kills him and he goes into the burn, saves Otis and Spaulding from the burning house. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tiny stays behind and enters the burning building and is never to be seen again. I don't know if he's killing himself. I, I don't know if he can survive in fire. I don't know. Well, that's what I'm thinking, right? Like, he never had a place to go. Like, he stayed at home. He never went out much. That was explained in House of a Thousand Corpses. And it's kind of sad because Tiny, despite being kind of fucked up, I mean, he's not evil, I don't think. Like, in the last film, they took Denise, and they were going to give Denise to Tiny, whatever that means. But he didn't do anything about it. He didn't take advantage of anybody. He didn't do any of that stuff he just is living his life and helping out his friends and or family yeah and i mean if that means you know carrying a dead body somewhere as we saw in the opening of the film or coming to the rescue i mean i think that that's that's what he's there for and maybe he knew that mother firefly was dead and he was like well i mean who's gonna take care of me these guys gotta run Exactly, and he again he doesn't really know a life outside of the house he doesn't go to the outside world very often and it it's kind of tragic in a sense because he doesn't really have any context to gauge the things in his surroundings. But even if he wanted to do something different, what can he do? I mean, he can't. Like, he doesn't know anything else. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of the message there is that sometimes other people have to pay the price for your baggage. That's true. And I mean, in other films, again, to go with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing, I think that maybe Leatherface and the family in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like... He is. He has a lot of problems, and he clearly manifests his issues in a really fucked up way. I don't think Tiny is like that, really. Like, Tiny participates, but Tiny, he's not, like, dumb. He's not, like, raised to be a killer, necessarily. He's just trying to live his life, but doesn't know anything else. He, he doesn't know any better. He doesn't know anything else. And honestly, if he dies in that fire, which I'm assuming he does, most tragic death in the movie. Yeah, it, it would be It would be him, Charlie, and then uh, all those people that got murdered in the hotel. Yeah, all those other people that got brutally killed. You know, <laughs> that, that's just the nature of the film, I guess. So uh, hey. the film closes on a really great scene, a great free bird thing going on. There's a classic rock out the ass. I... I don't want to spoil the ending for anyone who's going to watch this after listening, but it's worth watching. It's absolutely worth watching. It's, it is it is the scene that I think everyone most commonly associates with this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that about wraps up The Devil's Rejects. It's been quite a ride. I 
feel at one with the Halloween spirit now. I feel ready and primed for what's to come. Oh, dude, this is my favorite time of year. Um, This is the time of year where like, I just put all my other movies that I buy aside and just have all my horror movies just right next to my Blu-ray player. Like They're all going to get played. And then I don't watch any of them, and I just watch Nightmare Before Christmas until Christmas is over. Is that really what you do? Hey, hey, you know what, man? Shut up. You you shut up right now. I, I, I'm not going to say that Nightmare Before Christmas is a bad Halloween movie. You know what? What is a Halloween movie anyway? Like, we have horror movies, and we have Halloween movies. I don't know if we've talked about this yet, but, like, what makes a Halloween movie a Halloween movie? Like... House of a Thousand Corpses takes place on Halloween, and it's a horror movie, so that one pretty clearly is a Halloween movie, but, like, it's not like Christmas movies where they take place on Christmas. Yeah, and, like, I think that Halloween movies, quote-unquote, like, you, it's scary movies, like, because, you know, Halloween is, like, all Hollow's Eve, you know, kids go trick-or-treating, you know, we're supposed to celebrate the uh, scariness and the unknown that's out there in our world. And I guess that's why horror movies are so big, and that's why people consider them Halloween movies or, like, yearly Halloween watches. But it's not necessarily, like, about Halloween, because, like, you can't make a movie about Halloween, even though there is a movie called Halloween. Which also takes place on Halloween. Which also takes place on Halloween, uh, but, you know, it's not about the holiday, I mean, I I guess just in so much that, like, a Christmas movie, like, takes place around Christmas. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not necessarily about Christmas unless you're watching, like, you know, like, I guess they've made certain, like, biblically accurate Christmas movies. But it's more about the spirit and, like, the, um, the atmosphere. Like, Christmas has an atmosphere. Christmas has, like, a theme setting. Halloween has a theme setting, but, like, you can watch Halloween movies all throughout the year. Like, there's not a specific time. It's just, like, Halloween is, like, the time where people celebrate that kind of thing. You know, like, you know, haunted mansions open up and, you know, like, all that kind of shit. Yeah, I think as far as the feeling goes, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses probably impressed me the most out of most, like, horror movies that I've seen as far as giving me a Halloween feeling. Yeah, and it it definitely gives you like that fun house feeling and then this is like an actual horror film. And like Devil's Rejects is like the actual horror film. But I don't know, like as far as like these two movies though, like I think they're best viewed back to back, honestly. Oh, I completely or, agree. I think it's best to watch these as a double feature, but if you're only going to watch one, I got to say watch Devil's Rejects. You kind of don't really need to know a whole lot from House of a Thousand Corpses. It is a standalone film uh, leaning more so into the follow-on film that is this movie to House of a Thousand Corpses. So you have House of a Thousand Corpses, follow-on film, Devil's Rejects. They both stand on their own. But I guess if you're going to watch one, maybe the Devil's Rejects is the one you should watch. Yeah, I I would watch Devil's Rejects. And then, um, you know, it's going to be really fun. I cannot wait. Uh, Three from Hell comes out September 16th. Ooh. Which is a uh, sequel to The Devil's Rejects. Uh, Again, hope probably that... going to be before this episode drops. Uh, yeah, before this episode drops, um, we'll probably come back and do Three from Hell another time. Um, I definitely already bought my ticket to go see it uh, through Fathom Events. It's not having a traditional wide release, and uh, I'd love to talk about that at some point. Like how uh, some of these like newer movies are like getting like limited releases, like they'll only release for three nights. And it's it's very interesting, and I guess, I guess that's a way you could do it. Oh, for sure. Do you think that's like a, like a return to what we saw way in the past with movies? Like where they were what they were. They showed for a period of time, and they went away because home video wasn't a thing, or it wasn't as big, or like they leaned harder into releases like that. And maybe smaller movies didn't get as long of a run because there was a lot of money in going to the movies. So anyway, uh, make sure to like us on Facebook, uh, Information Podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at uh, Information For You. And uh, as always, check out our SoundCloud. We were always uh, popping up some stuff. John's going to be putting all of the cocktail recipes onto the Facebook and uh john do you have anything else before we go yeah absolutely uh let us know what you think about horror movies versus halloween movies so what's your favorite halloween slash horror movie and uh what kind of stuff do you want to see us do in the future i mean we're lined up for halloween and we are super stoked but i mean the world's your oyster guys let us know yeah if you guys want to we've been doing quite a few horror movies i think it's because uh it's me and john are very into horror movies but we also want to do other movies that you guys might want to hear about you know so even if it's not a horror movie, give it to us. Uh, I, I'd love to show John some uh, art house shit that he may fucking hate. Um, I, I'd love to do that to him. 
So if you guys have any suggestions, please let me know. Yeah. And uh, as always, uh, for your information, this is John. And I'm Zach. Have a great week, guys. Bye.